Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today we will be going up into the Salt and Light attic and bringing down some of our favorite conversations from the spring of 2020. We start by speaking with Deputy Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, Patrick Kelly, who tells us all about the upcoming beatification of their founder, Father Michael McGivney. After that, we meet singer-songwriter Anna Nuzzo. In our second half hour, we meet author Fiorella Di Maria and learn all about her priest detective series, The Father Gabriel Mysteries. And at the end of the show, we reconnect with singer-songwriter Greg Walton and listen to music from his new album, Eyes on the Cross. Remember to visit us at saltandlighttv.org and to comment on what you hear or to ask any questions, look for me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We begin now with Father Michael McGivney. On May 27th, the Vatican announced the advancement of the causes of canonization of 12 men and women. One of these had to do with the approval of a miracle attributed to the intercession of uh, the Venerable Michael McGivney, founder of the Knights of Columbus. McGivney, who, along with Blessed Stanley Ruther, uh, who was beatified in 2017, joins the ranks of Americans on the road to sainthood. When Father McGivney is beatified, he will become the fourth American-born male to be declared blessed. So who was Father Michael McGivney, and why is he important to the church today, more than 100 years after his death? To learn more about him, last week, I spoke with the Deputy Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, Mr. Patrick Kelly. Patrick, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Yes, uh, thank you, Deacon. It's great to be with you this afternoon. Yes, it's good to, to talk to you again. Um, so for people who have no idea, who was Father Michael McGivney? Um, yeah, good question. So Father, Father McGivney was a parish priest in Connecticut in the 1880s. And uh, he, saw, he saw the community that he was in he saw a tremendous need, and uh, he he served the immigrant community at the time. Right, it was it was mostly Irish immigrants. They were very poor. Uh, they they had a lot of struggles and a lot of stresses, and the families were under under a great deal of stress. So there was religious bigotry in society in in the New England society at the time. Uh, the Irish were looked down upon. And they couldn't get the jobs that others that others were. There, there were economic opportunities they didn't have. Mm-hmm. Father McGivney came along, and he he saw this problem, and and he saw that men were being pulled out of the Catholic faith, and were being were being pulled into what was popular at the time were these fraternal organizations and secret societies, right? And 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 often. Uh, so, so there was there was an economic aspect to it as well, but in addition, uh, these men were working in factories, and when they were killed in these factories, and there was no, there were very few standards at the time, uh-huh. they would be killed, and then the, so the breadwinner was would die, and the family would be dispersed. Right, so the the children would become would be, be dispersed to other relatives, or would become wards of the state. And he saw that it was a tremendous, a, a tremendous stress on these families. Mm-hmm. So what Father McGivney did 
was started a group called the Knights of Columbus. And, and the purpose of the group was to bring Catholic men together in unity and in charity to help one another and to help their families. Right. So that's what he did. He, he, he formed the Knights of Columbus so men would be unified in their Catholic faith, that their faith would be strengthened, but also that their families would be provided for in the event of an untimely death of the, of the breadwinner. Right. And, and it's true that he, he barely even lived, lived to see the results because he died, what, was he 38 or so when he died? Yeah, he was, he, he was 38 years old. And uh, you know, interestingly, he died of a, of a pandemic, right? So at, at, the, mm-hmm. at the time, it was, the, it was the Russian flu, and he contracted right. pneumonia as a result of the pandemic and, uh, and died. Uh, and, and he died at 38, but he had a very, very full life, and he has, he has quite a legacy. Yeah, and and I guess I mean uh, people, uh, most people are familiar with the work of the Knights of Columbus, and I think that that's a, a, that's that's enough of a legacy. Um, but but when 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 people are declared venerable, like he was a few years ago, it's more than just you know he founded an organization that's that that does good work. You know, there, there's a heroic. Uh, lifestyle there are there other things that you can point out uh about father mcgivney's life that that would be that legacy that yeah yes so so you know he so so being declared a a venerable basically and and you're right it, it it it's a it's a recognition that you've lived a life of heroic virtue Mm -hmm. um but interestingly, I think that there were things. I mean, he he was selfless in his dedication to his parishioners. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a there's a famous story where there was a young uh, a young Catholic man who was on death row. This man had killed a he had killed a, a policeman in a struggle, and so uh-huh. this young Catholic was on death row. And uh, Father McGivney visited him in prison every day. Wow. Uh, and then, you know, leading up through the trial, and, and there was really quite a conversion in this young man's life. And so he, he went mm-hmm. to the gallows, really a converted, a converted man, and he, he credited Father McGivney wow. with, that, yeah. with that conversion. But, but, and, and that's, a, you know, that's, a, that's a, 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 an exceptional story. But all the all the accounts of Father McGivney, where he just he ministered to the families and to the people of his time, and he mm-hmm. really saw he really saw a need. He saw families struggling, mm-hmm. and you know, we we often call a Father McGivney the an apostle of Christian family life, and so he saw right. the need for families, and he addressed that need. Yeah, yeah, and that's I think the work that the Knights of Columbus continue doing today too, as apostles of the family. Um, for people who are familiar with with I guess the process of of canonization of beatification, we know that that a miracle is required. So that's what has moved this cause forward. There was a miracle that was approved. Are there any details of this miracle that you can give us? Yeah, so so it's it's a it's a it's a really fascinating story, and I would say this: it's a it's a very Knights of Columbus story in the uh-huh. sense that. This had to do with a, a couple that had a, that had um, a large family, and in twenty in twenty fifteen, the mother found out she was pregnant. But right. through through, uh, through ultrasound, her her child in utero had been diagnosed with fetal hydrops, 
which is a condition where, where the organs fill with fluid. Mm-hmm. And in this particular case, the doctor said it was fatal. This baby would not live, and they recommended an abortion uh, uh, for, for, this, for the, the mother. Yeah. Uh-huh. The, the, they refused. They said, no, we, we're not going to do that. We are going to pray, and we are going to pray to Father McGivney. So, huh. so the husband, he activated his Knights of Columbus network and his friends and asking them to pray to Father McGivney for the, for the life of this child, as did the, as did the mother. She activated her homeschool network and, and her, her mom's groups. And so they prayed to Father McGivney uh, for this child. And then weeks later, they had, uh, they had another uh, checkup and, and the, the fetal hydrops were gone. And, and the, the attending physicians couldn't believe it. They said they, they had never seen a case Amazing. where fetal wow. hydrops that was so severe that would lead to death was just was just resolved. Wow! And so, wow. so yeah. So it's it's, it's yeah. quite it's it's quite amazing. And then in the in the process of researching this, you know, in the process of of of, of beatification, you have medical experts that that look at the facts and look at the testimony, and then you have theological yep. experts mm-hmm. that look at the facts and the testimony, and and both both of these group of experts concluded. That that this was that this was not a natural cause. That this right. this was indeed a miracle that led to the, that's, to the yeah. yeah. That's that's fascinating, and you're right in saying that it's a very Knights of Columbus kind of story. There's Father McGivney still a hundred years after his death, still being an apostle for the family. That's yeah. that's wonderful. Um, so, uh, are there any details, a date for the beatification, or do we know what happens now, or are we still well, waiting? Yeah, so what happens now is, is uh, the beatification will occur in Connecticut in, in, the, in the Archdiocese of Hartford. Mm-hmm. We're, still, we're still working on the dates. The date hasn't been settled yet, but we're expecting it to be, to be this fall, or at, at the latest it would be, at the latest it would be um, in, in early winter of next year. Okay, and I'm sure that that'll be announced and, and everybody's going to find out. Uh, this is very exciting. Um, uh, Patrick, thank you for, for telling us about it. I, 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 uh, I'm sure it's going to be, it's a good news story and it's a story that I think a lot of people need to hear, especially the story about the miracle. That's, that's such a wonderful, wonderful, inspiring story. So thank you yeah. for sharing us and telling us about it today. Yeah, thank you. It was, it was great to be with you. That was a conversation I had with Patrick Kelly, Deputy Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, last week. To learn more about the cause of Father Michael McGivney, go to fathermcgivney.org. And to learn more about the Knights of Columbus, visit them at kofc.org. Here now is our featured Artist of the Week, Anna Nuzzo, with Marian Consecration from her album, Be Love.
That was Anna Nuzo with Marian Consecration from her album, Be Love. A few months ago, I heard about a singer called Anna Nuzo. Not a week later, I opened the Catholic Digest and there she was. There was an article about this Catholic musician named Anna Nuzo. Needless to say, I went onto her website to find out more. And what I found was a beautiful story of how God calls you and gives you what you need to fulfill his purpose for you. Anna has a deep devotion to Our Lady and credits the wide appeal of her music to her Marian consecration. Over the last eight years, since she wrote her first song, Anna has released five albums and she is now working on her sixth to be released in September. And to tell us more, I'm now joined by Anna Nuzo, who is uh, on the road, driving somewhere. Anna, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. <laughs> Hi, Deacon Pedro. It's such a blessing to be with you today. It's so good that you're able, I, I love technology, that you're able to connect uh, while you're on the road. Um, <laughs> and it's great that you can be on the road because so many people are still, you know, quarantining in, in, in various places. Yes. Um, I always like to start by asking people what growing up was like. Um, I imagine, I mean, did you grow up in a big Catholic family, musical family? I, I grew up in a Catholic family, um, not too big and not very musical, actually. Oh, um, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, it was just myself that was into the music and my father. But I okay. have, um, there's four siblings, there's four of us. Okay. So. And did you, when did you start uh, with the music? Did you, was it something you wanted to do? Yes. Um, in Catholic grade school, I went to St. Mary's. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, I, I just enjoyed singing at masses and the music teacher sort of pulled me aside, noticed some talent and just thought, let's get a okay. little group together. So she okay. put me together with some other girls and I started singing and then I wanted to teach myself how to play piano. So I asked my dad to buy a piano. Oh, and wow. he, he went to a garage sale and he bought me this upright piano that I loved and put in my room. And I just started by ear beginning to play songs that I liked, uh, figuring them out on the piano Wonderful. and singing like that. Mm -hmm. but, you weren't, but you weren't writing your own songs at that point? No, no, not until when, my Marian consecration. Yeah, tell us about that. Yes. So what, 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 happened, what happened that made you start writing music? <sighs> Well, I um, had always been singing for mass throughout the years, and then in high school started singing for weddings and funerals, and then was in a little band, you know, a praise and worship band at my church. Um, mm -hmm. Very happy to sing current uh, praise and worship music as well as the beautiful hymns of, of our tradition. And uh, just what happened was when I came home from my first day of my Marian consecration class, I was drawn to my piano and uh, was drawn to, in my, in my heart, I felt called to write a song based on the Marian consecration prayer I had just learned. Okay. So I sat at my piano, I prayed for the Blessed Mother's intercession, and I had the words of the prayer in front of me, and the music just flowed forth very quickly. And within... I think it was a half an hour, the whole song was done. And I was right. left at my piano crying tears of joy and thankfulness. I can imagine. I, it was unbelievable. So just to be clear, so the song that we just heard, Marian Consecration, that was the song. That was the song. That's the first That's song. That's the I, first song you ever wrote. I ever um, wrote, yes. Can I, can I just... Can yes. I ask you to back up a little bit? Because we kind of glossed over the Marian Consecration. What, what made you want to do a Marian Consecration? 
So my church, uh, St. Anne's in Pleasant Prairie, Wisconsin, they were one of the first churches that um, wanted to do Father Michael Gately's 33 right. Days to Morning Glory book site. Right. That had just come out. Mm-hmm. And so we have a strong women's group and they uh, wanted to offer it. And my friend personally invited me and I accepted and felt like I, this, I, I see. Yeah, that's what happened. Personal invitation. That's, you know, that's, in that's usually how it happens. You know, we forget, but it, we need to be invited and we need to invite others. Um, so, so that's how you wrote the first song. I mean, that was eight years ago and you've yes. written a ton, kajillion other songs. So is it always the same kind of process? You feel that you're, <laughs> that the, our lady kind of grabs you by the ear and makes you sit at the piano or, or how does it, how does that work for you? So, so no, it's not. It's, it's very different. Sometimes um, I will just not even be at the piano and I'll be out on mission or, or at church or somewhere else. And I'll mm-hmm. have um, in my, you know, in my heart, I'll just have like lyrics that come to my mind and right. I'll jot them down or I'll mm-hmm. have a melody that'll come to me. Um, but I do write, I do feel called to write many prayer songs. So turning certain prayers into yes. song has been a big part of my ministry. Uh-huh. Yes. And obviously you have a deep devotion to Our Lady. I mean, I was going to say you, you went to St. Mary's as a, as a, you know, as a, a public, yes. uh, sorry, Catholic school. So clearly right from the beginning, Our Lady was calling you. Um, the, your next album is also dedicated to Mary, Virgin Mother Queen. Encountering yes. Mary's Apparitions in Song. Tell us about that album. I'm so excited about this album. So this is my first full Marian album that I mm-hmm. felt called to write. And I reached out to my friend Michael O'Neill, who's the miracle hunter. Uh-huh. Um, he's yes. the leading expert on apparitions. And I said, it's been on my heart to do an album on Marian apparitions, the songs that belong to these apparition sites. Do you know anything about that? So he was mm-hmm. excited. He helped me research it a little. And to my surprise, there are some uh, popular songs that do belong to some apparition sites, but many do not have any. And I thought here I was going to just record all of these songs that were already established and popular in the world. And Mm -hmm. it turns out that there aren't very many. Um, I found Our Lady of Knock. I found um, Our Lady of Guadalupe. I found, you know, a few, the Ballad of La Salette, but there are many sites that do not have songs. So then at that point, I, I sort of shifted gears and turned back into composer mode and have turned the traditional apparition site prayers into song. Mm-hmm. So now it's been such an overwhelming journey because I've discovered these beautiful prayers to Our Lady of Hope, Our Lady, um, Our Lady of Barang, Our Lady of... Um, but no, so many sites yes. that I never even heard of. Right. I've, I've becoming just very devoted to, and these prayers are so pertinent for today. Deacon Pedro, you would not understand. You would not believe it. I, 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 yeah, I, I do believe it, but you're right. I mean, there's so many wonderful stories that people don't even have a clue. What, what would you tell that person that's skeptical about these apparitions? Like why would God allow Mary or why would Mary appear to us? What do you tell them? I, I would tell them, uh, well, of these, ap- these are the apparitions that were approved by the church. First of all, mm-hmm. I'm only doing a, a approved apparitions. Right. Yes. But the messages, the messages are so um, similar throughout all of her apparitions. Pray more, mm-hmm. 
you know, uh, I'm bringing you to my son, Jesus. You know, it's not about her. It's about her son. It's about the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, and to give us hope. A lot of her messages are to give us hope. And that's exactly what we need today during this pandemic and everything that's happening in the world. They're just, they're relevant. They're relevant from the 1800s to the 1900s to today. Yeah. And it's, blow, it's blown my mind and really opened my eyes. Yeah, well, Anna, I'm actually looking, very much looking forward to this new album because um, it's been in my heart for a while to, to uh, you know, spend a little more time with Mary and, and, and try to uh, listen to her a little better as to how we can get closer to her son because that's all Mary's about. Um, and, yes. And, and going to these sites these places and reading the messages is is certainly a good place to start and i love the idea that we can do it in in song so i hope that you'll i'll be one of the first people to hear some of these <laughs> music and so we can get you back on the show i hope so too and and just so you know just over your border we do have the only u.s approved marian apparition site in wisconsin it's our lady of good health um, right and and i wrote a song to that it's called pray for us um, and it's very close to, to your border. So hopefully yeah. maybe we can do something together. Maybe we'll we can. And we also have mm -hmm. the, the apparitions of Our Lady of the Cape in Quebec. So there's yes. a sign there. Absolutely. So there you go. Lots of opportunities. I've been wanting to go there. Yes, lots yeah, of opportunities. You should. It's a beautiful, beautiful shrine. Um, Anna, we have to stay in touch. It's been so great talking to you. I know you're, you're on the way on a fun adventure with uh, <laughs> friends and, and family. So I'll let you go. But it's been really good uh, chatting with you. And I hope that we can do so again soon. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. God Thank bless. You too. You can learn all about Anna Nuzo. Um, uh, learn about her music and all kinds of other stuff, pilgrimages and, and lots of neat things that are at her website, ananuzo.com. And it's Nuzo, N-U-Z-Z. -Z. So it's, that's Canadian spelling, N-U-Z-Z-O, N-U-Z-Z-O.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. Here now is Anna Nuzo with Promise of Tomorrow from her album, Believe. Woke up this morning feeling frightened and frail. Not knowing how, how to prevail Praying for forgiveness Fighting back resistance Regretting all the years, the tears, the fears I lost my way And forever it stays
We're listening to Anna Nuzo with Promise of Tomorrow from her album Believe. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. You can find me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, and check out our website at saltandlighttv.org. Coming up, the Father Gabriel Mysteries and music by Greg Walton. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Most of us have heard of Sherlock Holmes and, and Hercule Poirot. I think that even Father Brown falls into the category of murder mystery detectives. And now there's a new hero to join their ranks. It is Father Gabriel from the imagination of author Fiorella de Maria. And to tell us more, we are now joined by Fiorella de Maria from her home in England. Fiorella, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Hello, it's lovely to be on the show. So you've written a lot of books, you've a lot of novels. Um, why did you want to write a, a novel about a murder, a murder a solving priest? Um, well, crime fiction is my dirty little secret. I've always been obsessed with detective fiction. I read my yeah. first Sherlock Holmes when I was seven, um, without realizing it was the most frightening Sherlock Holmes mystery he ever wrote. And I scared myself half to death um, reading about snakes <laughs> slithering down bell pools and things. Um, but I was hooked. I've always been fascinated by the whole puzzle and the, the human drama of, of crime fiction. So right. I've read them all, you know, Conan Doyle, Agatha Christie, Dorothy L. Sayers. Um, so really me writing a detective story was a, an accident waiting to happen, I suspect. Right. But why a priest? Well, um, there are, of course, other priest detectives. You mentioned Father Brown and mm-hmm. Father Dowling. And other. Um, I yeah. like the idea of the, the priest sleuth because he's seeking the truth but he's also fundamentally concerned with the soul of the, the person involved. You know, he True. appreciates yep. the significance of what's happened. And with Father Gabriel, I really wanted to bring that out. So mm-hmm. he worries mm-hmm. about the fate of the person that they're going to go to their maker with the terrible crime on their conscience. You know, it's not just a question of him getting the puzzle together, but it's also about that broader sense of of wanting to bring light to the people around him. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously being a priest, he has all that extra pastoral experience. He has that sense of perception. He can tell if someone's lying to him. You know, yeah. there's something about the way he connects with people that's just a bit different. I hope that you're not saying that all priests know when we're lying to them. <laughs> <laughs> well, How I, did... I guess, I guess if, you, if you hear confessions, you know, you must yes. get to the point yeah. where you, 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 you someone... fine tune that, that extra instinct. Um, so, so uh, how did you develop his character? Like, how did you come up specific? Cause he, you know, he's, there's some quirks about him. There's a history of him uh, without giving us too much information. Cause we want people to go and get the books, but tell us a little bit about how you came up with the character of father Gabriel. Well, he's supposed to be mildly autistic, but of okay. course at the time, at the time it would not have been recognized. He would have just come across as rather eccentric. Um, okay. He is based, um, in my, my son is autistic and I, I've mm-hmm. spent a lot of time sort of studying that, that particular 
way of thinking. And that explains why he gets very obsessive about things. You know, when he's on a trail, he just can't stop. That's actually why he's disobedient. He's not uh, a naturally disobedient person. But when he gets obsessed with an idea, everything else just falls away. He just, mm -hmm. he can't hear anybody saying stop. Um, and that also explains why sometimes he's um, rather socially inept. He has some embarrassing, you know, moments where things come out of his mouth you know and he, he regrets yep. it afterwards um which is quite um endearing i'm sorry i'll just switch that off um so, so there's, there's that endearing side to him as well mm -hmm. um and that was sort of the, the germ of the idea of the character right um and i wanted him to be a late vocation because i wanted him to have that history that complexity and also because i set it just after the war a lot of the characters in the books are people who are struggling with their past. Mm -hmm. You know, they're mm -hmm. people who have lost loved ones, who have seen terrible atrocities, mm -hmm. who are struggling to get used to civilian life. So he fits very comfortably within that chaos, if you like. Yeah, no, and it's always good to have complex characters. Um, so again, without giving too, too much, can you give us, you know, the two or three sentence plot summary? What's the story in the third? So this is the third edition, the third uh, part, let's say, or the third installment of the Father Gabriel mystery, See No Evil. Yes, it's um, the classic country house scenario. Father Gabriel is sent rather reluctantly to a dinner party. It's just after Christmas and in the morning, one of the more disagreeable guests is dead and everyone has a reason to wish he was dead. Mm -hmm. yeah. Classic. Yeah, you're yeah. right. It's the classic, classic mystery. Um, and, and is there a reason why it's important for Father Gabriel to solve the mystery himself and not just let the police solve it? Well, he does, in fact, in this book, get the police involved. Mm -hmm. In the earlier books, he has a rather uh, um, unpleasant standoff with the, the inspector, which always happens with, with amateur detectives. Yes. I mean, yes. because, you know, the police don't want the amateurs no. in the way. And um, also there was a lot of suspicion of the police in, in Britain at the time because they failed to solve the Jack the Ripper case. Okay. They say that is why policemen are always portrayed as a bit stupid. And, you know, you know Lestrade and Inspector Jap in, in Poirot, they're always one step behind. And they say that's why it's the public loss of confidence. Um, okay. Yeah. So, which, which is interesting, but it's, uh, it explains a little bit of the standoff there is between... It, yeah, it does. Um, you know. But in the third book, he does cooperate more with the inspector. Mm -hmm. But he has an entree into the lives of the people in the house that the inspector does not have because he was not a guest. He was not there. Mm -hmm. So Father Gabriel is able to, to get one step ahead of him. Mm -hmm. Would you classify this novel? And I, I mean, it's not really a, a genre, but would you say it's a Catholic novel? Just the fact that it's a priest as the protagonist? Well, of course, not all novels which have priests and nuns in them are what I would describe as Catholic novels. However, I think in my books, certainly in this, this series, it does delve into issues that I think would be of interest 
to Catholic readers. It looks mm -hmm. at what we mean by the truth. It looks at collusion with evil. That's a very big theme of see no evil, what it means mm -hmm. to be a link in a chain of evil. Um, mm -hmm. So I think those themes would be of interest to Catholics, certainly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was interesting to me anyway, at least when I read it. Um, uh, are you uh, hoping to write more uh, uh, yes, stories I, with Father Gabriel? I am about halfway through number four at oh, the moment. Okay. I've... I have been rather stalled by lockdown because I've been mm. homeschooling four children for three months. Um, yeah, which, which has given me yeah, some... Yeah, that keeps you busy. Yeah, it's given me, cramped my style a bit. Um, but I hope to get that one finished over the summer. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. Looking forward to it. Now, I, I have to admit, I've, I read this one. I haven't read the other two, so I still have to get them. Um, but I'm going to encourage all, all our listeners to maybe start at the beginning with Father Gabriel and, and read as the story evolves, because the story does you know, a little bit his, his story uh, evolves as you read the, the, the books. And then I'll be ready for number four. Right. So thank you, Fiorella, uh, for telling us a little bit, a little bit about Father Gabriel and why you wrote it and a little bit about what you do. Lovely. Thank you. Nice to talk. You're very welcome. Fiorella de Maria. She was born in Italy of Maltese parents, uh, but she grew up in England where she still lives. And she's the author of many novels. The latest in the Father Gabriel mysteries is called See No Evil, and it's published by Ignatius. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Greg Walton with With Our Eyes on the Cross from his album, Eyes on the Cross. Oh, the riches of this life Oh, the ways we have been blessed Oh, the poverty we own In the things that we put you ask us to lay down All the treasure we have stored For the treasure of your kingdom And a narrow road With our eyes on the cross Eyes on the cross With our eyes on the cross The Son of Righteousness has no place to lay His head, and all the world's a feast, but He draws us to a table where the greatest and the least come as equal.
cross That was Greg Walton with with Our Eyes on the Cross from his new album, Eyes on the Cross. Now, almost about 20 years ago, I was lucky enough to travel to Arkansas to be part of John Michael Talbot's 25th anniversary. And it was a great gathering of Catholic artists from all over. And it was also kind of a, a little bit of a retreat. So we had to share rooms. And my roommate was this young man a lay member of John Michael, uh, John Michael's Brothers and Sisters of Charity, um, also a very talented singer and songwriter, uh, Greg Walton. Um, and then about 10 years ago, we had Greg Walton on the program, The Sultanite Hour. Um, and a lot of has happened since then. I'm kind of a little ashamed that we sort of lost touch. Uh, but Greg has a new album, Eyes on the Cross, that we've been listening to. And so I'm very happy about that because it's a good excuse to have to have him on the show greg uh welcome back to the salt and light hour it's good to see you i am so happy to <laughs> to be here pedro thank you and yeah it's it's so cool i think um this history that you and i share of having crossed paths and um i have to tell it, you there's not a lot of people that i've shared a hotel room with <laughs> really okay so there you go there so you this go. that's a this unique special <laughs> that's awesome that's awesome yeah and and world youth day toronto um yes, as well right. yeah yeah right. yeah and we've sort yeah. of t touched bases you know touching different different points in time but but yeah i think it's been about 10 years that we haven't actually seen each other right um right um you uh, I mean, at the expense, I kind of want to say like, so what has been happening in the last 10 years? But, but I'm, I actually want to go back because when you know someone for so long, you kind of, there's some basic questions that you never ask. And I don't think I, I know how Greg Walton ever even ended up doing Catholic music. Like how, how did you end up doing, you know, being a worship leader? Yeah. Um, well, I had an encounter with, the Lord um, at an early age, mm -hmm. um, uh, 13, and wow. uh, is really where I started taking a deep dive into my faith. And and part of the catalyst was um, my sister, and she had mm -hmm. um, gotten deeply involved in a cult and, uh, and into um, substance abuse. Mm -hmm. And had a reversion to her Christian faith, mm -hmm. um, and uh, and so that had an impact on me and an influence on me. Um, just seeing, I guess, how God was working in her life and made me aware of of more aware of something bigger than myself, and I started wow. seeking after it. Um, and I I knew that I wanted to have some sort of active role in evangelization in some way. I just had a desire for it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a cradle Catholic, so I didn't know that there was like Christian rock out there. Right. And when I was about 15, I just started writing contemporary songs as a way for me to share my faith with my peers. Right. 
And, uh, and it was funny because all of a sudden they, some of my friends who were more well, more aware of Christian music started giving me tapes, you know, of Larry Norman and Undercover and 441 and the 77s. These were kind of the underground, you know, rock and roll Christians, you know, from both first generation. We talk of Christian music in terms of generations, the first generation and then kind of the next generation that was in the 80s. Yeah. And uh, I was really bummed out because I thought I was starting something new, you know. <laughs> I thought, oh, well, this would be great. Nobody's doing this. So this will be unique. And actually, it turned out there was a thing. Um, but, yeah, yeah. and then shortly after that, I I had a, a another mystical experience where God said, I want you to do this. Mm-hmm. So I knew this was a venture God wanted me to go into. Wow, yeah. So that was that yeah. was a long, long time ago. You were very young. Yeah. Did did you once you started songwriting as a teenager, or I guess once you started actively writing songs uh, that were either worship songs or or faith based songs, uh, is that something that you continue doing? Do you like? Are you? Do you find that you're constantly writing? Um, how does that, I, how is that process for you? Yeah. So I I'm not like a, a prolific writer. I I have to actually sit down. And, and make a discipline of it. You know, I, when I was in my younger years, they would hit me spontaneously and, and quite often. And I think it was because I was really growing in my faith and there was a lot of discovery and a lot of celebration mm-hmm. kind of happening, you know. Um, and I find now, you know, now that I'm middle age, I just mm-hmm. turned 50, you know. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> So it's like, um, I have to work a little harder to get yeah. the muse, you know. Yeah. So, so then yeah. Eyes on the Cross, is, did you sit down? It's like, I'm going to write something that's specifically, I guess, for Holy Week or Lent, or how did that come about? Yeah, so I'm glad you asked. And you brought up, you know, being a, a member of John Michael Talbot's community, you yeah. know, the Brothers and Sisters mm-hmm. of Charity. So the rule our rule of life uh, and the brothers and sisters of charity is a association of the faithful Mm -hmm. founded by John Michael Talbot in 1979. Mm -hmm. Uh, We got, they got their canonical status, you know, on the official roster of um, faith communities in Rome in 1994. And they opened up what's called a domestic expression. So there's a monastic community yeah. And then there's those of us who live the spirituality, which is Franciscan spirituality, and we integrate the Benedictine rule. Right. But our, we have a motto or a central rule, which is um, the rule of the brothers and sisters of charity is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, may we be concerned about nothing but this all-encompassing rule. All that matters is that one be created anew. And... Having made my permanent profession with the community, I really wanted to write something around that idea and that also embraced, I think, the, the spirituality of the community too, which is simplicity of life and to live simply so that others may simply live. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I come to understand the cross from the Franciscan perspective, it's, it's not just the sacrifice on the cross, but the journey and the activism of Jesus that got him there, 
you know, as well mm. of, of speaking to those on the margins um, to the degree that the establishment said he had to go. Mm -hmm. We, we got to get rid of him. He's making us look bad, you know, or he's challenging us in a way that threatens our stability, yeah, our status, yeah. our status. And so I, um, I came to Sarah Hart kind of with that idea yeah. and, and she is a, a master songwriter and, um, said, Hey, would you help me with this tune? And, uh, and to piece this together. So, uh, we worked on it together back in 2016, I think it was. Oh my gosh. Wow. Okay. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. That's good to know, actually. Yeah, you're right, right Sarah. She's a good friend and, and a very talented songwriter. Um, yeah. There's so many questions I have for you and we don't have a lot of time, but I, I was on your website and I saw a little banner that said Jesus Glue. And I wanted to ask you about that, but I, but I know that you're also doing other things in terms of the new evangelization, hosting a, a radio podcast with, with John Angotti. So right. if you can tell us a little bit, a little, you know, throw in the little Jesus Glue and then tell me about about the uh, Living Real Radio broadcast. Yeah, so Jesus School Ministries is uh, the nonprofit foundation for my itinerant ministry. And okay. the um, objective, I like to take the secular and the sacred as a way to evangelize. Um, I have a little bit of the Ignatian spirituality too of, of finding God in all things. And I love to give people a glimpse of that. So I love to break open popular media, you know, uh, as well as, as you know, our, our tradition. Um, so Jesus School Ministries is the umbrella for that. But I think okay. the common core of it revolves around the truth that God is love, you know, and that the love that Jesus calls us to, loving God, loving neighbor, is the healing force. It, it's about relationship. And the motto I use for Jesus Glue is sweet communion. So it has two meanings, building community in the body of Christ through, through love, through justice. Um, and also, of course, providing music for the source and summit of our worship, uh, which is the Eucharist as well. So those are, that's the twofold purpose of, of, of the ministry. Of the ministry. Yeah. yeah. And then I guess the, the radio show that you're doing is part of the ministry? Well, no, the radio show, actually, I'm the electronic evangelization coordinator for St. Philip Catholic Church okay, in Franklin. So we, okay. And that is one of our ministries. Oh, interesting. So, as a parish ministry. As a parish ministry. Wonderful. So it's interesting because my, I look at my purpose or focus being in using media for evangelization. Mm -hmm. In the 80s and 90s, the only platform really was radio, yep. you know, and, and writing Christian contemporary music, something in the popular vernacular that would speak to people. Mm -hmm. And today it's so much more. It's social media and the web and like a ton. And, and so, uh, um, so I do that for St. Philip. And we had a, a radio program opportunity brought to us by Hippie Radio, the classic rock station. Okay. It's owned by one of the Catholic families in our parish. And they said, we'd like to, to do a program on Sunday mornings, you know. And they asked, um, they came to John because they knew him, John and Gotti, because they yeah. know him really well. He'd done ministry with them before. Mm -hmm. And John's like, well, dude, you're the electronic evangelization coordinator, so you need to get in on this. That's great. Yeah. And so we interview 
most of the time it's Catholic artists, but it's people from all different dimensions sharing their faith. Um, we've wonderful. even had an atheist on the show. I love it. And it, but it's not a yeah. Catholic station. It's just a regular, it's a regular secular station. station. That's wonderful. What yeah. I wish, I wish more people, more stations were, were taking that, uh, that risk it's not a really a risk but you know giving us those opportunities to evangelize uh soft evangelization yeah um, that's wonderful so that's uh i guess you said hippie radio if, yeah it's, if, if people are in in the nashville area they can yeah hippie radio 94.5 nashville um so we we go at 8 a.m on sundays um and you can catch the stream uh of that and then we okay. release it as a podcast but we play a lot of secular tunes so i have to cut those out of the oh, podcast, the, yeah. you know, right. so, um, so you'll notice those will fade out. So if you want the full glory of the show, you got to tune into the live tune broadcast. In. So just look, I'm yeah. sure hippie radio, they can stream it online. Yeah. Um, Greg, we're going to put it, have to end it there just because of, of time constraints, but it's yeah. so good to, to see you, to talk to you, to reconnect. And I love the music. Uh, so I hope that there's another album in the works because, uh, it's good stuff. Well, I have some singles coming out, some actually some good. mainstream stuff, and I'm always working. Good. Yeah. Good. Good. Yes. Yeah. Well, good. Okay. We'll we'll see if we can uh, have another excuse to get together. That'd be fantastic. Thank you. All Pedro. right. Yeah. Thank you, Greg Walton. You can learn all about him and purchase his music at his website, gregwalton.com. And to listen to this interview again or to hear the rest of the program, you can go to saltandlighttv.org. Here now is Greg Walton with given it all away from his album Eyes on the Cross Jesus went down on bended knee and with humility washed his disciples feet just like the teacher so must we not one of us is greater than God the demonstrator serving all needs till every face is smiling joyful Cause we know the key is love by giving it all, giving it all away. Oh, love by giving it all, giving it all away. Jesus said, make your joy complete. Love is I love you. That's all you have to do. We have no greater love than this. Because we love a friend serving all needs Till every face is smiling joyful and free Cause we know the key is love by giving it all Giving it all away, oh love by giving it all Blessed the meek, bless those who mourn and those who seek peace. Blessed the merciful hearts that are clean, showing the world what it really means. Theirs is the kingdom, theirs is the earth, the satisfaction that comes with rebirth. Theirs is our God to be held in full view. Though in the form of God, did 
We're listening to Greg Walton with Giving It All Away from his album Eyes on the Cross. And that concludes this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. You can learn all about Salt and Light and support what we do at our website, saltandlighttv.org. That's also where you can listen to all the editions of the Salt and Light Hour. If you have any questions or comments or just to say hello, reach out to me through Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Yeah.